0: Here in Proverbs chapter 21, we find more wisdom to live by and a couple verses, especially for wives. Let's join Pastor Ross now as we explore more of the riches in God's Word. We'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, now we thank you for your living Word that's sharp and alive and active and ready to uh, just get right into the center of our hearts to reveal. Uh, the need for correction, or a need for comfort, to be instructed. Father, whatever it is we need, we can find in your, uh, your wonderful word. So tonight we pray that you'd speak to us. We're, we're all ears, Lord, and we want to be open. So help us toward that end, in Jesus' name, uh, amen. Not all of the Proverbs... Um, are straightforward exhortations, the Proverbs, these collections of wise sayings and little snippets of truth that we've been encountering and, and studying. They're not all just straight up, this is what you need to do to be wise. Uh, don't do this because that's foolish and it'll bring painful consequences. Uh, some of them are just straight up observations and observations, things that smart people realize. They've come to realize certain things about life. And from that wise observation comes inspiration or some uh, instruction or insight or comfort so wise people come to an observation that brings them some comfort, like verse 1 of chapter 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So we're often running with some big comfort. I don't know about you. When we're 26 days out of a historic presidential election, and I read... That the king's heart, the leader's, the leader's heart is in the hand of the Lord. That is actually God who governs sovereignly over this world. Leaders lead, but he influences all leaders according to his good purposes. I don't know about you, but after the last few days, I'm pretty encouraged to know there's a God who is on the throne, to whom leaders will give an account. And those leaders, even the king, is subordinate to his influence. And that's a very good thing. So it's a shout-out to the sovereignty of God here, that God is using all things. He orchestrates all things according to the plan. Listen to how Ephesians puts it. According to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So uh, here's a paraphrase. the the uh, the king is like putty in the Lord's hands. And so you can you can do do your part, vote, and pray, and submit to the laws that are not against God's laws uh, in peace, because it is God who is in control. So he's saying, Like a water course, directing like a water course is a canal of water that farmers could manipulate by digging trenches or putting up barriers. And so he's saying God, with all leaders, can direct and influence uh, any which way he wants. And so he does so uh, for our good. You know, I'm just thinking before we move on of one king, um, Caesar Augustus. You know, he didn't like the regular titles, so he named himself Caesar Augustus. It means king of the gods, all right? So even king of the gods, you know, uh, was under the sway of the king of kings. Because one day he was thinking, you know what? I need to take a census of the entire Roman world. And you know, I'm just going to give it out a decree. Everybody needs to go to your hometown and register. Well, that was a good idea. I wonder where he got that idea from. Because there was a woman who was eight or nine months pregnant at the time with the Savior of the world who needed to be born in Bethlehem, whose father, whose stepfather... (laughs) Joseph and Mary were from Bethlehem. And because of the king's edict or the king's shaping of the watercourse, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Oh, Bethlehem, you may be little village, but from you somebody's gonna come, a ruler of Israel who has who's been a ruler from eternity past. And so, yeah, God is working. It doesn't matter who gets elected. The king, the president's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he will direct it like a water course wherever he pleases. Verse 2, thank you for that one amen, (laughs) whoever you are, to you. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Well, of course you always think you're right, every single time. When do we ever think for the first time we we think, oh, yeah, you know. Even if we think we're wrong, we tell ourselves we we must have been right about it. You know, the impossibility here of an accurate self-assessment, we've seen it before, It's an inability to uh, assess right and wrong in our own hearts because Jeremiah 17.9 says, our hearts are deceitful above all things, can never be trusted ever and beyond cure unless the Holy Spirit's on board, the word of God. God looks at even right things we do for the wrong reasons sometimes. And so he says, you know, we are not as wonderful as we think we are, and we're not as messed up and hopeless as we might think we are. God looks at us the way nobody else. I mean, He just knows us. And I just say this one teaches us, don't don't believe your own press, man. Really, just just don't believe it. Well you're gonna give your give yourself a pop quiz tonight. Okay, let's let's, let's let's say how honest you are, how much integrity, how other-centered are you, how compassionate to the needy are you. You all give yourself A plus, mostly. A, 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 I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good at that, I'm pretty good at that, right? Mm. <laughs> the, the Lord judges, he knows. So the only cure for our disease, that I'm always right, is some Humility. Humility and the word of God. Verse three, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So when you hear the word sacrifice, it's being in church it's it means old testament worship they had to bring a sacrifice a grain offering a sin offering a burnt offering but they brought something like sacrifice so to sacrifice in our minds it's coming to church singing putting something in the tithe box the whole church thing is to sacrifice okay so he's saying here if this is all going on, your whole church thing, you're singing and praying and, 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 and putting something in the offering, and you're not obeying God in your day-to-day life, this means very little. That's the meaning of it. It's is that God is not after uh, the outward religious uh, actions or activities. It's very easy to bring the sheep for the holy day festivities but not rain in your heart and keep a tight rein on your tongue. It's easy to write a check and put it in the offering. It's easy to serve in some position and think there we go and then on Tuesday afternoon all hell breaks loose with some kind of self-centered temper tantrum and all of that stuff. So he's saying to obey is better than sacrifice. Outward religious things when your heart's not in it. Verse 3. Let's try verse 4. What do you think? (laughs) I like high eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. Here's what he's saying. Now the lamp stands for, it's just a sad and scary observation, because the lamp stands for the heart. It stands for the engine of the life. It's what gives light to your eyes. And here's what he's saying. A person who's right with God is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus can look at his people and say, you're the light of the world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in there. The word of God is in there. It's a lamp for people, right? But here's an observation. You know that haughty, hard look on unbelievers' faces that are filled with pride? He's saying, how sad is it to be empowered? The engine for that is sin itself. Sin is death and the devil and condemnation is powering that person. That just makes you not want to have anything to do with that. Verse five. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So here's an exhortation and a warning. One method of life leads to profit, and another method leads to poverty. So really, this one's easy. Patience and planning of the hardworking person, you win. And impulsive, rash, and lazy shortcuts you lose. Verse 6. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. So uh, Proverbs isn't against riches, money, or wealth. None of that is a problem. It's how you obtain it and the heart that is always kind of in view. So here, this one's easy. Any profit or gain by fraud, will always have two characteristics. Number one, what you gain by fraud will always be temporary, unstable, and very unreliable. Number two, it will always be a a lethal trap to you. Verse seven, the violence of the wicked will drag them away for they refuse to do what is right. So this is another easy one. The wicked will be destroyed by their own devices. Uh, Verse 8. The way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent is upright. This one's very interesting to me. It's the difference in outward behavior of a person who's guilty inside, knows that they're doing the wrong thing. And somebody who's innocent knows that they're, they're right with God, how they both behave, how they go about their lives. So the wrongdoers who have a guilty conscience, uh, they live in a devious way because they have to they always need to cover up, you know. Hey, can I look at your phone? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, hold on a second. Uh, uh yeah, yeah, here, what do you want to look at? You know, there's that <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Or 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 you know, somebody's going through your stuff or 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 your boss says, "Hey, we're going to do a search on the computers today. Just random. Just going to pick a few. We'll start with yours." you, you know, so you, you can tell somebody's inner life by how they behave. Uh, and, and those who are innocent, they're upright. They're just like, well, they're just chill. They have an innocent, clean conscience. They're just open and they're relaxed. And there's nothing like just being able to walk in the light like that. Verse 9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Here we go again. Now, there are five such observations, uh, and one, which is worse, is coming up in this very chapter. Now, the, the power of the wife to make or break the home. She's got the power. Uh, She sets the thermostat, as I've said before. Uh, She, by her behavior, by the wife's behavior, um, she will create a little bit of heaven or a little bit of another place, which shall remain nameless, apparently. You have all got your thinking faces on again. All right, in the Middle East, they have flat roofs. And up there... Uh, If you were to live in a corner on one of the flat roofs, you would be isolated from all the fun. Uh, But if you needed to be up there, uh, you would be exposed to the Mediterranean sun and the wind and the snow. It snowed in Jerusalem occasionally and the rain and all of that. So the Holy Spirit is saying, My son, be very careful how you marry, who you marry. Uh, Better for you to eke out a three-by-three corner uh, up there on the roof to be removed and alone and exposed to the elements and have peace than to endure the constant bickering of, uh, sorry, a hen-pecking... Life. Now, the word quarrelsome means somebody whose life purpose or primary motivation is to take you to task on every little thing. Nothing is good enough. There's a constant complaining. So, quarrelsome in the Hebrew means reminding, debating, arguing, disagreeing, correcting, scolding, directing. And so, uh, men become work. Aholics. They develop a need to work extra hours in this kind of situation. Uh, they stay busy with, in the basement with projects. Uh, they listen to music with the headphones uh, on. And uh, I was walking around Lake Merced once in San Francisco, and the kids were little. They were riding their bikes behind me. I was jogging. I Still, to this day, I could tell you exactly where we were. I saw an elderly, older, elderly, an older couple who probably was my age now than I was then in my 30s, right? And they were walking and uh, they were both very animated. Well, one, the wife was talking up a storm and moving her hands like this. He had headphones on. And as I passed him, I could hear the volume. I, I could hear the volume. And I just looked around like, is, is there going to be candid camera? Is this like a funny spoof or yeah. something? Uh, but this is the kind of thing that goes on that he's warning against. Now, the fall of mankind, um, Adam's wife stepped out and apart from her husband, took control of things. And as a result... Not only did all of creation come undone, but the Lord said to her, from now on, you and your daughters will have a struggle to be contrary to your husband, but your husband will lead you. So from that moment, all women, all wives, will struggle in the position God has given her to help and to yield and to come under in a graceful, quiet, yielding spirit. They will always, by nature, not want to naturally do that. And that is where the Holy Spirit comes in and helps men to love their wives as Christ loved the church, which means willing to die for her, and to help women to love and yield and respect Their husbands. And then there's no need for any add ons on the roof. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. The wicked man craves evil, his neighbor gets no mercy from him. So all it's saying is, you, you know, how sad your misfortune to be permanently located near an, a perpetual troublemaker. So if it happens to be uh, you live next door to the, the guy who's always calling 911 or getting 911 called on him, and there's always cops outside, or you uh, are seated next to the bully, uh, well, why did he end up next to your desk or the locker room, uh, the locker the, of the, the insubordinate uh, coworker? If you are permanently affixed to somebody who's got a pension for trouble, then uh, you to be praying for the person. Or you could request a transfer, right? Or you could move. To Cincinnati. I don't know. You know, there's no trouble in Cincinnati. Verse, verse 11 When a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. When a wise man is instructed, he gets knowledge. And so, you know, there's a proverb about this. He who does not pay attention earlier in church service often interrupts Bible study. Have you heard that one? <laughs> Very good. All right, we can move on. Now, I mean, we're, well, here we are. When a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. When a wise man is instructed, he gets it, uh, knowledge. So you determine your maturity by how quickly and easily uh, you learn. And we learn by observing. Bad things happen when to wrongdoers, and painful things result when people sin. You put two and two together, that determines your maturity. If, if you can't do the two and two, verse 12. The righteous one takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to ruin. Uh, different most see the title here. Most of your translations go with the righteous one meaning God. Uh, some of your translations has man, but it's really a title of the Lord. Uh, and and the reason he can see and the wicked is because he's the Lord. And the reason he brings it to an end is. Uh, that he's the righteous one. He's all good. Now, God doesn't miss a thing. You talk about the wonders of Google Earth, right? And that thing, that's pretty amazing stuff when you go on Google Earth and all of that. Listen, God, (laughs) he made the earth. And he made the inhabitants of the earth, and he formed their hearts, and he knows their secrets. Not only does he know where the bad guys live, he knows what they're doing. He's got their address, and he takes special note of the household where evil is like a little factory. And he's bent on taking that down, despite appearances, we don't always think that that's going to happen, but he says, you can trust me. trust me on this. Now, here's a thought. I mean, because he, he's violent, he's going to bring the wicked to, a, to ruin. It means to hurl them to destruction. But here's the thing. If anyone does get hurled into destruction by God, it's collateral damage because the righteous one is really going to attempt to annihilate evil. And whoever is clinging to it is collateral damage. See, so you end up apart from life in a place called hell, uh, not simply because you're an evildoer, but because you clinging to something God is trying to divorce from the universe. And so as He sweeps, evil away since you're (laughs) clinging to it and embraced it and did not find the uh, refuge through Jesus Christ who paid your way out, Uh, then you have to get swept away as well. But it's not God's will to sweep you away. It's God's will to sweep you into his love and good graces. But everybody has a choice. Verse 13. If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered." So verse 13 just says, "Those who, know, who show no mercy shall not obtain mercy." Think about that. James chapter 2, verse 13. "Judgment without mercy will be shown." This is New Testament. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anybody without mercy. Jesus, all the time, you want to be forgiven? Forgive. He says, Jesus, our Lord, the gospel, unless you forgive from your heart, you will not be forgiven. Dog, dog, these are heavy things. So listen, folks, err on the side of mercy. Mercy. Do not harden your heart in this wicked, wicked world. It's so easy to just put up the walls. So you won't get hurt anymore or ripped off and all of that. You know what? I've been ripped off a lot of times because I buy the stories almost every time I'm getting better at it. I just need $17 to get on a bus to see my mom. You know, I'm like, here here you go. I mean, I'm a little bit like that. And I've been ripped off where they wave at me, laughing, thumbing their nose and other impolite gestures. I will not stop. I will not be, I won't be dumb. I'm not advocating bad stewardship. I'm just saying I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm not going to be one of those guys who passes a street person and makes more money than me. I'm not going there. You know why? Because I want mercy. I want mercy, and if I'm going to get mercy, I have to show mercy. And mercy means treating people not as they deserve. Well, they've got to earn it. They're going to earn it. Think what you're just saying. They're going to earn it. Mercy is not giving them what they really deserve. Mercy is letting the bad guy off the hook. Oh, I can't do that. You're a bad guy. Do you want to get let off the hook, yes or no? He's saying if you want to get let off the hook for all your shenanigans and you got them, you better soften your heart. Show a little humility and a little mercy, amen? 14, come on, we're almost halfway there. Gift given in secret soothes anger. This is a good one. And a reward in the Hebrew. So shout out to the King James, you It should be reward there because bribe leads you to think evil. Uh, And a bribe concealed in the cloak pacifies great wrath. So verse 14, really, wise people know the value of disarming and calming angry and hostile people who uh, have potential to do great harm. Now, Jacob in Genesis 32 and 33 did this. He sent to have gifts to his angry, hostile, crazy brother. All right? Gifts and gifts and more gifts. And by the time they met, that hardened Esau, who could have strangled his brother, fell on his neck, but not to choke him, to kiss him and hug him. The gifts help. The gifts help. Abigail, David was offended, and he was going to do in Naboth's entire household. Abigail, the wife, was smart and knew she was married to a fool. That's what his name means, and she went out with all these gifts to King David, and it softened him. Right, now, now listen, a wise man uses gifts. In self defense or to restore damaged or threatened relationships, said one writer, a wicked man uses them to overthrow justice and judgment uh, by laying uh, off a judge or uh, buying off a judge. All right, so do you get the point? Gifts, wise people can use kindness or gifts or favors in a holy way. And the second point about it is to do it with tact. Do it with tact because it can't be an ostentatious kind of grandstanding, look, I've given you this publicly and now you have to treat me better or you can't hurt me because you're publicly manipulated by my good gift. He says, no, 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 no. I, story goes, two mafia families, right? They're mad at each other. One feels really threatened. So the aggressor's family, the daughter falls ill and is in the hospital. There's a few days in the hospital, uh, but she's going to be okay. This guy goes to the hospital quietly and pays the bill for the daughter. And so when Luigi goes in <laughs> to find out how much you know he had to pay, right? It says, "Oh, your pay- your bill's been paid, right? By by who paid it? Well, it's just an initial G." GG. he knows who Gigi is, Guido Gotti, you know, whatever. Giovanni Gotti, all right? And so the, the GG, it just says Gigi, and he's like, oh, huh, you know, do you get it? That's what he's talking about. Look, Romans 12 says, if your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. The, the, there it is. Where do you think Paul got that from? That little saying, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Where do you think he got that? Who's going to say it? Proverbs. Proverbs 25 coming up in a few weeks. You didn't know that, did you? You look surprised verse 15. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. I like this one. You can tell who the good guys are from the bad guys uh, when, when the gavel goes down. So if, if, if good and truth uh, and justice prevails, you're going to have uh, happy people. The happy people are the good people, and the sad people are the bad people. So, uh, you know, when the sirens are coming, and the crime is being committed, you know, there's two sets of people. The victims are very happy, and the perps are, have some cause for anxiety. Now, when Jesus appears, when there's lightning in the sky and the Lord appears at the second coming, uh, some will marvel and be overcome with delight, while others will cower and dread. They called on the mountains. This is revelation about the end times. They cry out to the mountains and the rocks. Would to God that the mountains fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Two different reactions to the same event. Jesus coming will be a wow, a yes to some, and a very fearful time uh, for others. So so the point is, get on the right side while you still can. Uh, Verse 16 Love this one. I've had this on my desk. A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to the rest in the company of the dead. Comes to rest in the company of the dead. Why would I put it on my desk? You know what? Because all tremendous backsliding and disaster starts with just a little wandering. It's the devil's favorite strategy. He doesn't tell you to go from A to Z. He tells you to go to A to B, right? Oh, look at how close A is. It's just right there. You just hop over to B and look at you. You can see A. How much hard, how hard would it be just to hop yourself back to A? That's not very, so just a little wander and then look at C. He doesn't start to bring up NNOP when you're only at B, but he will bring up C because look at C, bro. You know, C's right there. You go to C, you know, and then you go back to B. That's okay. Look, you can almost do the whole three things right there. C, B, and A, right? Listen. And the world will help you out with it. Here's a bumper sticker. Not all who wander are lost. What? (laughs) That's a big one over in Sebastopol. I see it all the time. Not all who wander are lost. Yes, they are, period. (laughs) They're lost. A pastor says to a young man, thank you. A pastor says to a young man, you're wandering, you're straying, I see it. The young man says, he says, listen, the pastor says, I know where this is headed. This is where it's headed. I see it. And the young man says, never in a million years would I ever do anything like that well it was a quick million years boy they go real real quickly because that young man ended up resting in the company of the dead and it started with just a little wandering next verse He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Wine and oil back in ancient times were just extravagant luxuries that people uh, who had some money had. And um, here's, here's what he's saying. Watch out if you have expensive tastes but an average income. Um, you'll never be rich if you like big houses, expensive cars, exotic places, and designer clothes. But you don't have a designer's um, salary. You just make minimum wage or whatever. You know. So if you're consistently um, spending above your means, uh, and because of your exotic tastes, uh, you will never. Never have a big savings account. Verse 18. The wicked becomes a ransom for the righteous. What? What does that mean? And the unfaithful for the upright. This is very intriguing. Now, it's an ironic observation about the punishment of the wicked. Listen to this. How can the wicked be sort of paying a ransom for those who are right with God? Well, Technically, all mankind think about it. Everybody's guilty. Psalm 3, let me quote it to you. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if there's any one good, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single person. So here's what it's saying. The righteous who are right with God, right? They trust in Jesus. Jesus paid for their sins. The wage of sin is death. So they're not going to die. They, The righteous have been paid for by Christ. So listen, uh, the understanding here is, is that when God takes out his wrath on the world, he's taking out his wrath essentially on all, of all of our sins on those who will not be reconciled to him. And so in one sense, when, like in the Great Tribulation, while the church has been raptured and not appointed to wrath, the whole world is going to implode. The mountains are going to melt away. There's going to be no more islands. I mean, a quarter of the population in one of the judgments of 21 judgments, a quarter of the population goes... And a second judgment takes the remaining third of the earth, right? So in a sense, the world that's left behind is paying the ransom. All of our sins, those sins of the world, are really being taken out on them because they refused to really seek their own ransom through Christ. Verse 19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Where have we heard this one before? He's pretty serious about this. So, you know, the Holy Spirit is not afraid uh, to speak to men or to women. So uh, he's relentless because well, here's a slight twist. All right. So we're not going to go through it again. But one writer was wondering, um, why have we gone from the corner of the roof into the open desert? And he suggested perhaps she has found a ladder. (laughs) And she's using it. Better with the tumbleweeds, better with the camping equipment, better with the sidewinding snakes and the hoot owls than to be... um, stuck there with a wife that you can never please. You know, listen, husbands, love your wives. There are two commands in the Bible. It's very easy for marriages. Husband, love your wife in a self-sacrificing way. Wife, submit to him. Quiet, reverent spirit. Those are God's two commands. It's not rocket science. And if a woman is loved, like a man who, like Christ, loved the church, it will make it very easy for her to yield and to trust and to revere. And conversely, if a husband comes home After fighting, duking it out all day long with his own thoughts, his own heart, his own bosses, his own co-workers, this crazy mixed-up world, and he fights, fights, fights. The last place he wants to do that is in his own living room and kitchen. He opens the door. Damien Kyle put it this way, women so underestimate a man's need for peace and quiet, a drama-less world. That's all they want. I'm speaking for them right now. A dramaless world. And so when a man comes home and there's a little quiet music and there's something that smells good and there's no long drawn out stories of drama about relatives who are crazy and bills that aren't paid and, and, and problems and problems and tears and oh no. But instead, you know, the place is mildly assembled well, you know? <laughs> <laughs> something's not on fire. <laughs> There's something edible on the table. <laughs> you will see this guy. Come to life. You will, you will turn him, ladies, you can turn him into the man you've always dreamed he could be. You can do it. You have the power. <laughs> I'm done. I have no more energy to preach anything. Verse 20. In the house of the wise, there's stores of choice food and oil, but a fool devours all he has. Listen. Well, you get paid on Wednesday. If you don't have anything on Friday, you're a fool. You just chew right through it. That's it's been no thinking, traditional wisdom. Ten percent off the top to God, just ten percent, right from the top, not from the bottom, not from the leftover. Just it's there. You've got X amount of dollars. Take ten percent, give it to God. Done. Then have a zero balance budget. You could go to DaveRamsey.com. And, and for free, you will get a budget that tells you where to put every dollar, even your fund money, right? And then use cash. Credit cards are a fool's paradise. No more credit cards. A budget and 10% in the savings account like little ants know how to do, right? 10% off the top to God. Live within your means because you have a budget and you have budgeted the fund money, but you use cash, no credit cards ever. Unless you're disciplined. I know one couple, they are disciplined. They have automatic payments, they, you, they do the points, but they, that's a zero balance every single month. I would recommend, like Dave Ramsey, no credit cards. Amen. And thank you, one, that one lady, thank you. Oh, wow, it's Connie Hawkins. <laughs> she runs uh, the financial piece, <laughs> here, ministry, all right, and 10% in savings, and then do whatever you want with the rest of it, open up the windows on the freeway, throw it out, you know, if 10% went to God, and you're living, and you're paying all your bills with cash, right, and your fund money, and all of that, and you're saving 10%, you do whatever you want with the rest, well, there's no rest, because there wasn't the first three things, right, okay, so moving on, verse 21, He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. So here's the meaning of this. Walk with God and life will be good. Promise. Next one. A wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. Here's a question for you, son. He's saying, would you rather be buff or wise? The answer is wise because the credit for the victory will go to the tactician, the wise general, not the strength of the army, necessarily. It's how to use the army that you do how. Amen? Amen. Next verse, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keep himself from calamity. So this is the easy one, too. Very valuable. People who use words with restraint are more likely to avoid trouble than those who do not. And all God's people said, Amen. Uh, You needed to be way more enthusiastic about that. I'll try it again. Those who keep a tight rein on their mouth, listen, those who give thought, just before they think, before you speak, those who do that suffer less than those who don't. Amen? Amen. Ah, there we go. Verse 24. The proud and arrogant man, Mocker is his name. Holy Spirit speaking, calling him out, saying, you know what? He behaves this way, overweening pride. Listen, question. Who's the the worst villain the Holy Spirit paints in the Proverbs? Is it the raging fool? Is it the simpleton? Is it the dishonest, greedy businessman, the scam artist? Is it the sloth, Is it the wayward woman? Is it the contentious wife? Is it the hothead? Is it the drunk? No. It's this dude, the mocker. Oh, he's the lowest of low. He's a 10-star fool. Why? He's the only one on the list who can't change. Oh, Oh, barring a miracle of God... The mocker, the mocker's the one who's closed off. He's filled with pride. You can't tell me anything. He can't not be corrected. And if you can't be corrected, you're on a collision course with eternal loss. You think you know everything. Overweening pride, I know that. And then scorner is his name, means he makes fun. He thinks the whole thing is stupid, you're stupid, God's stupid, nobody's as smart as him. And off the cliff he goes and Mocker is his name. Verse 25. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. So there's a correlation issue there. Let's talk about it. Verse 25. So it's funny, if not so sad. Follow the logic here. Lazy people still have cravings and desires. One of those longings is not to work. doesn't include work. But they have desires. Just they don't want to work. So uh, without work, there's no income. There's no crops. There's no food. But the desire, the craving is still there. So the craving, the desire, the appetite will be his undoing. Right? So the second part really says, goes a little deeper with our lazy bones and wants to psychoanalyze a little bit and say, listen, the lazy person's focus is on themselves, right? They're not providing for anybody. Paul the Apostle says, work hard with your own two hands so you can have something to share with somebody. He says, so if you're a thief and you've been conniving and you've been all about me grabbing, 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 Stop doing that. Work hard with your hands so you can share. So the point here is diligent, other-centered people are all about giving, but the lazy person, it's all about them. Give me, give me, give me. And he's always saying, son, don't be like that. Verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable, how much more so when brought with evil intent. So, God hates empty religion, right? So we've already, sacrifice means the worship, worship. Re, and in this case, worship without a relationship with God. So he hates that on two levels. Number one, he says, the, there are churchgoers who are just hypocrites. They go to church, they give to church. And I'm, I'm talking more, it's more prevalent. It's, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen in our churches because it does but in higher church, you, you know, with stained glass and all of that, uh, there's a lot of church going. There's a lot of beads and praying and a lot of giving and the plate and a lot of holy stuff and water flying all over the place. On Sunday, that worship goes on. But on my, 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 uh, Monday through Saturday, there's a whole nother life. He says he hates that hypocrisy. But then he says, what he hates even more is when it's intentionally done for personal profit or gain. So people will, will actually go to church to scam on people in the church, and that happens all the time. Um, from time to time, until it depresses me too much, I stop watching it. American Greed is the show documentary on people who scam artists and all kinds of things, and twists and turns. It's it's pretty well written, uh, but a little depressing. And some of them are you just can't watch because it's just so sick. Uh, but... Uh, A lot of times it involves church. A lot of times the person is always carrying around their Bible to endear their scam to others, to to open up some vulnerability. So there's always a big cross or a picture of Jesus on the wall or or they're, they're in the pulpit or they're leading a Bible study group and they sneak in their business that way, right? Oh, church people have been melted out of millions. Millions of dollars from church people's pockets have gone this way. And God says, How much more wicked is, is when there's a sh- uh, charade going on uh, for personal gain when involving God's name? Terrible. So, verse 28, we're almost there. A false witness will perish, and whoever listens to him. Will be destroyed forever. So we're not, so liar, liar, pants on fire. For for two people, the liar's pants are on fire and the one gulping it all down, kind of complicit. You know, it's not somebody who just happens to hear a lie who's in trouble, it's the person who kind of knows they're being lied to. They're telling you a story about John. You know it's not true, but you just gobble it up. Instead of saying, "Hey, you shouldn't talk like that. Stop talking about that. That's probably not true," you just suck it down because you're part of the game. Because you're going to pass it on to somebody else too. This is you're on fire too. You want to be watch out for falsehoods, whether it's in your own mouth or going in your ear, because they're fire. You don't want any fire on any body part. Amen. <laughs> Okay, verse 29. I'm entertaining myself, all right? Verse 29, someone's got to do it. A wicked man puts up a bold front, but an upright man gives thought to his ways. He's saying uh, a bold front is no substitute for sound principles. Here's what he's saying. Anybody can have swag in this world. A lot of guys have bravado Outward confidence. Anybody can drum that up. But he's saying, son, true confidence comes from giving thought to how you're living before God. That's where that confidence, man. When you got, the righteous are bold as a lion. When you've got a guy who knows God's with him, and there's nothing in between him and God, and he's just doing his thing, he's, he's got that swag. But it, it, it means something. Verse 30, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And and anyone who knows me for any amount of time knows the sermon illustration I'm about to use. There's a stop sign in Sebastopol that I always used to pass. They fixed it now, but somebody spray-painted some rebel thug. spray painted underneath stop right it said across there he wrote god so it reads stop god right it used to be my morning entertainment every morning i'd drive by on my way to work and see some fool thinks you know let's get a campaign going we're gonna stop god you know (laughs) in psalm chapter two it's the only place it shows that god laughs There's only one verse in Psalm 2. It says he gets a chuckle out of the whole world saying, putting their fists up and saying, we're going to take you down. He just goes, (coughs) (laughs) are you kidding me? A bunch of grasshoppers, You, you, you know? And so he laughs. He just gets a kick out of it. He says, come on, are you kidding me? Seriously? He appears and he says one word. He says, from his mouth, he, see, he opens his mouth and puts an end to Armageddon is no battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. I don't know what a battle is. I, I mean, it's over in five seconds, right? He opens his mouth. There's no wisdom. So he's saying, son, listen, there's no, there's no back doors here. There's no options here. There's no loopholes. Don't think there's an alternative way to get around this guy, God. There's no way around death and grave and condemnation and judgment. It's appointed unto man wants to die, and you're going to face him. Let's do this. Amen? Amen. One more. (laughs) The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Here's the this is it. Do your part, do your due diligence, do your preparation. And trust God to bring his blessing, because if God doesn't add the blessing, it really doesn't matter. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We're gonna have a closing song. I got a closing scripture. While the worship team gets into place, we're going to recite this together in the spirit of that last proverb. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Here's a few words that go along with that out of Psalm 33. Let's recite it together. You can play something there, and thank you. Ready, reading. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Verse 22 says, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just lay our hearts and our lives before you. We ask for your blessing and your victory, your strength to guard us in all of our ways. We thank you for being here with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.